I don't know what your schedule is like. I really don't. I'm going to guess you're busy, right? I'm going to just go out on a limb. I'm going to guess, too, that your schedule is not necessarily packed by you. It's these other people and other organizations and all of their expectations that come into play, okay? Uh, 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 There's soccer. If you've got kids, right, there's soccer, there's band, there's scouting, there's camping trips, there's recitals. Um, And and if you don't have kids, there's that project at work. Oh, I need to get that done. I need to get that. And then you bring part of it home and you think you're going to get it done and then you don't get anything done. And so you take it back to work. It's really fun, isn't it? Um, uh, On Saturdays, don't you ever have this thought, like, as you're going through the week, oh, if we can just hit the weekend, right? The weekend is going to make things better. And then, but then there's, they got to be on the soccer field at 8, and then it rains, and then it gets delayed, and the coach says, just hang tight. We'll play again at 1. And you're thinking, no, I was going to go home at 1. I was going to get the dinner stuff ready. We haven't even grocery shopped this week. Am I, is this true to life for anybody? Am I sp- okay, so... For, for, those, uh, for those of you that don't know, John Mark's been in band this year. For us, for the Vander family, marching band was the straw that broke the camel's back. Literally. Because <laughs> this is marching band schedule. You go to school, you're in school all day, school gets done, and you rehearse Monday from 4 to 6. You rehearse Tuesday from 4 to 7.30. You rehearse Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. You rehearse Thursday from 4 to 7 p.m. On days in which there's a home game, you just stay there, and then you, you come home at midnight. And then on Saturday, you show up at 9, and you rehearse until 12. You load the truck, and you load the buses, and then you drive to the place that you're going to have marching competition. And then if you're lucky, you come home by midnight. Isn't that fun? Isn't that wonderful? And some of you are going, man, you're not kidding. And you would love to tell me about mm, soccer or scouting or whatever it is that's, that's in your world. And for those of you that don't have kids, don't worry, right? You have busyness, don't you? You have work schedules. You work, she works. You work, he works. And it seems like your work schedules aren't working. Or one of you has to bring work home, and that's not cool. Or... Uh, Uh, all kinds of things. There's the projects that you keep meaning to get to, but you can't seem to get around to, right? Those house projects that you were going to tackle. Oh gosh. And and now you're in, thanks Max. I came to church to be set free. And now you're reminding me that we need to tile the bathroom. Okay. We're all on the run. We're all on the run. We're running everywhere. Uh, You mentioned it, didn't you? Right. That was your word, David. We're on the run. (laughs) I'm going to go to dance. Let's go to dance class. We're in dance class. Okay, now we got to go to band. We're going to band. Ah, ah, boom. Ah, now we got to run. Okay, everybody, we're going to go get dinner. Remember your mom? She called you in for dinner, right? Time to come in. It's time for dinner. No, dinner now is, come on, we need to get in the van. We need to go to dinner. We go. We go everywhere, don't we? We go to dance. We go to church. We go to band competition. We go to the movies. We go shopping. We're in, I've said this before. We're a nation of goers. We should just change our name from the United States of America to the United States of Goers. We go. It's what we do. Um, And despite all the going, I don't think we're even content with just that. When I go to ballet rehearsals now, which is fun because I'm typically the only man (laughs) in the room there, which is awkward in and of itself, um, because really, are you going to strike up a conversation Probably not, but uh, you know, you never know. And I'm an introvert looking for conversation from time to time. But I go there and see. I don't bring my phone, okay? Which which I forget. And then I show up, and all the moms there are 
And everybody's got their phone. So they're not just at ballet. They're also doing something else. And then there's always the one mom who's like on the phone with her mom in the ballet. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Da, 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 you know, and then there's the whole. And, and, and I always want to say, do you like we're all hearing. We're all part of your conversation. Did you know that? And this lady right here, she's actually posting it on Facebook. What you just told your mother. OK, do you not get that? OK, so we do this stuff and we pride ourselves on being busy as a society. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? What you should say right in America is I'm busy. And then you tell them why you're so busy. And then the stinky thing is, they open their mouths and then they try and outdo you, don't they? And they say, oh yeah, well let me tell you. I'm more busy than you are. And you know, it's kind of like the busy war. It's the silliest thing, we do that. If, if you're married and, you're a, and, and you've got this spouse, have you ever had the conversation, you know, where, where one of you can't take it anymore and you... And you you put your foot down. We are going to cut something. And then you have this long protracted conversation and at the end of it, nothing's been cut, right? Because you realize, well, we can't, gosh, we really can't cut ballet or we really can't not do that or we really can't, you know, and Johnny so wanted to do blah, 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 blah. And so then at the end, you, you know, you put your foot down, but then nothing happened. I, I, even though I'm a man, ladies, I do sympathize for you. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, honest, I promise. Never been pregnant. Da, da, da. It looks scary from my point, and I'm a married man, okay? Pregnancy is okay. But I do notice the women's magazines that come home from my mother's house. My mother thinks that Jenny has time to read, so she gives all of her magazines to us. So they sit in our home for about a month before I throw them out. And I, I can't help but notice the titles. It's always one of three things. Declutter your home. How to de-stress in seven easy steps simplify your life. And I'm, I'm like, man, the publishers got us all nailed. They know, okay? It's the weirdest thing. Let me ask you a question. Can you really enjoy anything of, in life on the go or on the run? Is, is, it, is it possible to have a good meal on, on the go? Is it possible to have a conversation on the run or while you're doing something else? No, it's not. And uh, today, I want to wade into one of the most spiritual people in the Bible, and it's somebody that I can relate to totally because his attitude is sometimes mine, and that's Elijah. Those of you that are Christians are already smiling. You're like, hmm, so you got a bad attitude there, Max. Okay, so if you haven't heard of Elijah, this would be a good morning to introduce you to him, okay? He's found his story is woven into the first and second, first and Kings, okay? So we're going to be in First Kings 19. Elijah was one of the most spiritual men who ever lived. He raised someone from the dead, Okay, he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind without even dying, but he lived part of his life on the run, literally. And because he was on the run, he was unable to hear from God. All right, and we're in 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Elijah, by the way, is a prophet. And in chapter 18, the chapter before the one that we're in, there's the great contest where all the prophets of Baal, you know, okay, we're going to have a contest. We're going to see who's God, okay? So all you prophets of Baal, you call down and your God needs to set this thing on fire. And they do the whole day and they beat themselves till they're bleeding and they do the chanting and everything else and and nothing. And then Elijah, right? This is chapter 18. Elijah does the, okay, hey boys, why don't you pour some water on that sucker? What? 
yeah, pour the water on the wood that's supposed to catch on fire to see who God is real. Okay. Oh, wait, no, do some more. Okay, so it's flooded. And then, and then it's like, okay, God, uh, hey, show everybody that you're God. And then, you know, it's on fire. And everybody, ah! Okay, and they kill the prophets of Baal. Okay, so that's chapter 18. And then chapter 19, what a difference a day makes. Here's 19. When Ahab, who was the king, got home from this contest between the prophets, he told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, as you killed them. That's kind of like the do unto others as they do unto you, but it's the bad part, okay? So let me, let me read that one more time. And this, you should put this in a Christian t-shirt, right, someday? <laughs> May the gods strike me and kill me if this, by, by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Okay, so there's the, the warning shot she sends, because she, she doesn't like Elijah. She hates him, and she doesn't particularly care for Elijah's God either. She's, she's grumpy with him, and so she sends this message, and here's verse 3. Elijah was afraid. Isn't that the weird? Come on, think about that for a moment. You just had this contest up on the mountain where 400 prophets couldn't do squat. And in one moment, you go, hey, God. And God goes, and, and now this lady queen sends you a threat and you're worried. And we're, Yep, mm-hmm, sure enough, I, I can so relate to Elijah. Okay, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, verse 3, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Afraid and on the run, he goes to Beersheba, which is the southernmost border city. Okay, so he's fleeing the country is what he's doing. And then verse 4, look at what happens next. Then he went on alone. Oh, there's another good idea. Into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Okay? He's spent, he's tired, he's exhausted, and his attitude's all out of whack, isn't it? Isn't that easy? I mean, think about this. There's a, there's a spiritual commentary here on a, on a larger scale for us cultural, for us Americans. When you're on the run everything gets fried up here in your head and in your heart, and then you, you're not discerning things accurately anymore. It, it, it's one of the oddest things. When you're living life on the run, it's hard to perceive relationships where they really are. It's hard to perceive your work environment the way it really is. It's hard to perceive these things that you're doing as what they really are. I mean, it just throws everything out of whack. And we see this in Elijah. He's on the run. He's literally running for his life. And he should know that God is big, and God's going to take care of him. Of all the people, he should know this. And he, it's out of his brain and out of his heart. Okay? And then verses uh, uh, six and following. Uh, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And this is the kicker. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here? (laughs) Apparently, Elijah wasn't listening on a larger scale 
to God. He couldn't hear God's voice with clarity anymore. And so he, he's not where he is supposed to be. Um, and there's a spiritual principle here, and I want to draw this out. And that is simply this. When you're on the run, it fries what's in here in your head, and it fries what's here in your heart, and it's hard to perceive things as they really are. And are you tracking with this? Is this not true? Yes, this is true. This is really okay. So uh, let's talk about that as it relates to us as individuals and families, okay? One of the weirdest things about, for those of us who are married and have kids, is that we do our family life randomly. We, it, if you have a job, uh, typically there's a planning that goes into that job. If you're an engineer, if, even if you're a teacher, you have to have these things called lesson plans. It's your you know, mapped out thing of what you intend to do that day with the kids or that week with the kids or that semester. Okay? It, it's kind of like a roadmap. Uh, but family life is so random in America today, isn't it? It's on the run. It's other people's schedules and priorities that come into the mix, the band director, the soccer coach, the whatever it is, and all of a sudden, all of that is stirring you. And, and the thing is, we usually get to that point, and we're on the go, and we're frenzied because we didn't have a plan as a family. We just kind of, you know, I've always thought this was the weirdest thing, that you would be married to someone and then have kids and not have a plan for that thing. We assume in America that uh, we can just kind of, family can just kind of go without any kind of planning. And what I want to suggest to you is that no, that's not possible. Uh, Every business in America has a plan and a strategy. Have you ever been to Walmart? Let me tell you something about Walmart. The stuff in Walmart is there on purpose. The little end cap displays are there and they're that color and they're that height for a reason. There's big money in research on what colors and how things are arranged and how people will respond to those colors and arrangements of things so that they will get out their piece of plastic and they will put that in the cart and they will buy it. There's a lot of research and there's a lot of planning and and whatnot that goes into that. So uh, Dave Ramsey always likes to say, when you go into the gas station and you practically trip over that thing, bucket of ice cold soda, with the water dripping down on a hot day, he says, that's not there by accident. And Dave's like, don't buy the soda in the ice barrel. You know, his big thing is don't do that, okay? But the, the point is this. Businesses have a plan and have a strategy, but most families don't. Most families don't have a plan. Most married couples don't have a plan for their marriage. They're just randomly and reactively, uh, you know, reacting to life. And so I want to start a several-week thing where I get you and me to think about how to be purposeful as individuals and as families. That's what I really would like to do. I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 60. I think this could be helpful because the default setting in our country is busy, 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 busy. And what I don't want for you or for me is for us to wake up 10 years from now and and have that frustrated realization that life didn't go where we wanted it to go and our relationships aren't where we want them to be and our kids didn't turn out or aren't where we want them to be, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So let's, let me start with this. And I take this from a man named Marcus Buckingham. Marcus Buckingham wrote a book, and if you want, you can pick up a copy. It's, it's called Three Big Questions for the Frantic Family. 
three big questions for the Frantic family. Marcus Buckingham is this, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer, he's just a business consultant. And he would do, uh, he would blow in city after city and he would talk about business strategy and strengths and all of those kind of things. And he said that the thing that struck him is that time after time after time, people after the conference presentation would come up to him and would go, you know, what you were talking about today makes a lot of sense in the sense that, you know, I should probably be doing this kind of stuff at home because that's more important than what I do for my job. And, you know, this is what life is like and it's busy and da-da-da-da. And, you know, I really don't have a plan for home, but I think I probably should. And, and he would kind of poo-poo those comments as people would come up to him. And then finally he couldn't take it anymore after several years of this on the conference circuit. And he was like, you know what, there must be something to this. Okay, and so my caveat reminder is we say that church is not, not a business, it's a family, okay? I don't want you to run your family like a business either because that would be silly because then, right, success would be, I've got 20 kids, <laughs> I've got more than you, right? Because more is better, right? The one with five, four kids is going, what are you smoking? <laughs> okay, All right? Okay, so let me start with this first question, okay? What makes your family unique? What makes you unique as an individual? That's, that's where to start, okay? And, and a good way to go about this and, uh, is to simply make a long list of things that are true about you or about your family. I brought along my thing from January of this year, okay, uh, when I was doing this. And I'll read you the summary after I read the things, okay? So what's true about the Vanderpools? Church every week. Swimming. People projects. Vacation with grandma and grandpa. Don't clean unless there's a reason to. Dad works. Mom works. Homeschooling. Dad kayaks. No computers or TVs in the rooms. Church groups. Elders. Kid stuff in our home. Nana and Papa involved. Movie night together. And on and on the list goes. And, and some of it seems purposeful. Some of it seems totally random. But after going through the whole list, several things emerged. And Jenny, you know, Jenny and I looking at the list, here's some things that are unique to our family that may not apply to yours, okay? The Vanderpools love serving and helping people. Uh, that's just something that's true about us. We believe it's important to ask, what does God want me to do? In other words, for us, uh, the what does God want out of the thing is something that we, we come back to. And then family is more important than career. That's another thing that we kind of articulated through our list. As you do this as a couple, as, as a family, as a unit, you'll come up with different things. Uh, my friends Mark and Stephanie, um, music is so very important to them, and it's part of their family life. It's part of their unique thing. And so when they map this out, uh, being outdoors regularly, they take, they're purposeful to take trips. They go skiing, you know, sailing, boating, hiking. I mean, they've been everywhere. Every Christmas, we get the, the Mark and Stephanie newsletter, and it's microfont print, but there's amazing pictures from all over the world, and they're always outside. They're never inside. They're always outside, and that's, and that's part of what makes their family unique. Um, and so the question, again, is uh, what makes your family unique? What makes you unique? What are the fundamental positive qualities that are undeniable about you? And the key is that you have just two or three of them, because, right, your temptation as you're making this list is to go, we should be a family that prays, or we should be a family that serves too. Oh, yeah, that's, and so when you hear another family uh, or another person talk about the qualities, you'll go, oh, that sounds good, and you'll be tempted to write that down. Um, 
life coaches will say those are aspirational values. They're things that you want to be that just aren't really true. <laughs> so don't worry about the stuff that you'd really like to be that's not really true. Just focus on what's really true, okay? So as you're making this list, and if, and if you're stuck, mom and dad, what drew the two of you together initially? There's a great place. I mean, because that's going to get translated out. And when I look back to Jenny and I, uh, what drew the two of us together and what was true about us is we just, we were served. We served. Jenny and I served at Wheaton College. We served in church. We were just servers. That's what we did. The other thing is that what drew me to her was this whole notion of, wow, she's going to be like an amazing mom someday. And so the, the family aspect was something that was also important. And it was right there in the beginning part of our, our marriage. And so, for example, I don't try to be creative. Do you know why? It's just not me. It's not one of the things that's unique to me, okay? But this is, and you're, I know you're probably sitting there going, well, how does this apply? Just wait over the next several weeks, okay? Because we're going to be creating a path. Um, so, again, uh, homework assignment for this week would be really simple. Start making a master list of everything that's true about your family. Mom works, dad works, you know, big into soccer, whatever it is. Make that long list. And you'll, you might want to tuck it away for several days and then pull it back out. And as you're looking at it, ask yourself, what are some common things about it? Are there some values that, that I see, that we see looking at this long list? What's true about us? What's true about me? And that's, again, that's going to be a starting point, a starting place uh, over the next few weeks. Here's why this is important, and here's why I want to start along this path. Um, I believe that for most of us in America, we don't have a plan for our families. We don't have a plan for our own life, individual life, and our relationship. And because of that, the culture rat race of busyness and takes over and sucks us into it, and we're whirling around. And the thing is, it's usually in America, it's not until somebody gets diagnosed with a really bad illness... Or one of the two of you says, you know, this relationship isn't working anymore, I'm done. Or one of the kids has some significant issue, like the school is calling and saying they're selling drugs, or, you know, we had to call the cops, or whatever it is, okay? And in those moments, right, um, and sometimes those things happen, and it's not any fault of your own, okay? So I want to make that qualification. I don't want anybody to walk out here going, well, gee, I stink. No, 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 okay? That's not the case, all right? Because sometimes stuff just happens. But I really, what I really want for you and for me is a level of intentionality, okay? Um, and so um, I've re- I really struggled with how to uh, uh, encapsulate this or articulate this because it's not, it's, not gonna be the, uh, it's not going to be until the next several weeks that we really get to flesh this out. And I'm going to give a chart to you next week and show you some things to do to actually put this visually out. But what I want you to start with is what's unique about me? What's unique about us? What are the values, two or three of them, that describe who we are? Why will this become important later? Because it's going to help you determine what you pick up and what you lay down. It's going to become a filter for prioritizing, right? Because you can't do everything. And you can't let everyone else 
tell you what it is that you're going to do, okay? So this is going to become a filter agent over the next couple of weeks, okay? So does your homework assignment make sense? What's unique about me? What's unique about us? Start with the long list of things that are just true about you. Write them all down. Set it aside. Come back to it in a few weeks and or come back to it in a few days and see what kind of rises to the top because, again, uh, we're going to use that as a filter. And, again, here's why this is important. Imagine where you could be in your relationship with your husband or your wife or your significant other or with your kids or your family or those key friends. Imagine where you could be if you were not just random but intentional about it. What could your family life look like in five years if instead of the coach determining what was important, you had determined what was important? Wouldn't that be a better place wouldn't that be something you'd be like, yeah, I can get excited about that, of course. Because frenzied, there's nothing about the frenzied life that we all live that's attractive. And so the key to getting out of that is being intentional. And that's what I want to talk about over the next several weeks. 